Would you take your Bibles and turn to uh, 2 Timothy with me this morning? We're going to continue where we left off last week. I hope you had a good week. Had a good week? John, good week? Rob, good week? Sean, good week? Why is it a good week for you? New baby. Congratulations, man. There's a story about that, but we'll hold on to that story until later on. But congratulations, Sean. We are very thankful for the birth of that new child. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse uh, 13 is where we're going to be at today. Let me ask you a question. Um, would you be termed or would you be described as a person who is faithful? Just a thought. Would you be described or categorized as a person who is faithful? If not, how would you be described? We've been in this letter that Paul had written to Timothy over the past couple of weeks, and we're going to continue walking through it, but just to sort of remind you, I mean, here we are. Paul has been arrested. He he has found himself in prison, not just any prison, but he is down inside of what they call um, the Mamertine prison in a lower cell in a cold area where it's dark and wet, and it was there that Paul is writing these words that we read today near the end of his life because Paul knew that his time was limited, that he would eventually die for his faith. And here he is writing to Timothy, his protege in the faith, his, his mentee, and he's wanting to empower him, he's wanting to encourage him, he's wanting to equip him um, with these things that Paul has learned in reference to the gospel. And so what we see taking place is Paul is wanting to pass on the torch of faith. After 30 years of faithful service that this man had given, I mean, he endured just about everything and continued to remain faithful. I mean, if you know anything about Paul, he was shipwrecked. I mean, he was arrested, he was beaten and left for dead, and now he is awaiting execution, and yet he never wavered in his faith. And so, with that being said, I want us to continue today as we read these words that Paul had written to Timothy, beginning there in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 through 18. And let's begin. And these are the words of Paul to Timothy. Hold on, he says. That's a good word. That's a good command to underline. I'll give you a couple things to underline here. He said, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you have learned from me, a pattern shaped by faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard. That's another command that I want you to underline today. Carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. As you know, everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me even Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show special kindness to Onesiphorus and all of his family because he often visited and encouraged me. He was never ashamed of me because I was in chains. And when he came to me, when he came to Rome, he searched everywhere until he found me. And may the Lord show him special kindness on the day of Christ's return. And you know very well how helpful he was in Ephesus. And I want to continue on here for just the end of chapter 2, just for a couple of verses, because I I see this as a pattern that he continues on. We're not going to talk about this today, but listen to what he goes on to say, because he gives us another command. We've had hold on, we've had carefully guard, and here he says, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard uh, me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now... Look at what he says, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. I want you to write this down this morning. Write this down. Be faithful to the faith. Be faithful to the faith. Look at what that first command is. He says to what? Hold on. Hold on to what? Hold on to the pattern of wholesome 
teaching. And here's this idea of being faithful to the faith by holding on to or clinging to that which had been passed down to him. He wanted him to hold on or hold fast to the pattern of wholesome teaching. That word pattern we also know means form or uh, sketch or outline or a blueprint. If you've ever built a house, you know that you have to have a blueprint. Well, you're supposed to have a blueprint to build a house. And so Paul is telling Timothy, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to hold on to that which I have given you, the truths of God's word that I have taught you and I have passed down to you. I want you to take this pattern of teaching, the doctrines, the truth, the right belief, I want you to take them and I want you to hold on to them tightly. Listen, Timothy, you don't have to make up anything. You don't have to wonder what it's all about. Listen, all you got to do, all you got to do is to hold on to that which I've given you. I don't know if you, if you remember, in the early days of the church when Luke was writing the book of Acts, Inside of that, in those early days of the early church, this is what Luke had to say in reference to to what was going on in the early church. He said, the believers devoted themselves, then Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, talking about the Lord's Supper, and also to prayer. And that thought of the apostles' teaching was what they had learned, the apostles. They were to pass on, they were to to share, They they were those who were sent the apostles' teaching. And it says here that was what they had learned from Jesus. And listen, the apostles were to take that and to continue passing it on. And here's Paul saying to Timothy, look, I want you to take what has been passed on to me. I'm now passing it on to you. And I want you to pass it on to others. And there's a responsibility that we all have to take that same exact apostles' teaching and pass it down to those who will come behind us. And why in the world would Paul be so emphatic about passing down these truths? Why would he be so emphatic about holding on to these truths? And I'll tell you why. Because Paul would eventually tell Timothy, look, let me tell you what. Just a little bit later in chapter 4 here, he would say, I'm going to tell you why. Because it's important that you hold on because eventually down the line, people are going to want to surround themselves with, with people that just give them what their itching ears want to hear. In other words, I'm going to hang out and I'm going to listen to those who tell me what I want to hear, not necessarily what the Word of God has to say. Right, Mark? That's important. And I don't know what in the world it is you expect from us to preach to you, to teach to you, um, other than God's Word. But there's a lot of people these days just want to surround themselves with people that are going to tell them what they want to hear. And it's not what the Word says. I mean, there's a lot of things. People may come to me and say, ah, man, I'm just having a tough time with so-and-so and Man, I tell you what, and I'm sort of justified for feeling the way. Well, is that really what the Bible has to say, that you're justified for feeling the way that you feel? What does the Bible have to say about that? Or get into some really tough topics like that of abortion or alternative lifestyles. And people will say they just want to surround themselves with people that tell them what they want to hear instead of what God's Word has to say. But it's God's Word that is right. It's God's Word that is true. Michael, it's God's word that continues to last and be faithful from generation to generation. And so Paul says, hold on to this pattern, this template, this outline, this this, uh, blueprint that I've given you of wholesome teaching that you've learned from me. And he goes on to say, a pattern shaped by faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Paul says, we're to hold on to this in two ways, faith and love. You know, when the Bible starts talking about an indicator of our faith, it doesn't talk about how much we know. 
but it talks about how much we love. You've, you've heard that phrase before. Mike, I know you've heard it. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. Love. Love is one of those attributes that sets us as believers apart. Love is one of those things that Paul said when he started listing the attributes of of Christ, of Christ in us, the work of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, at the top of that list was love. When Paul, when he, Paul was talking to the believers at Corinth, he said, faith, hope, love, abide these, uh, these three, but the greatest of these is love, love. And Paul goes on to say in verse 14, through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard, there Another spot that you can underline, that's another command, carefully guard, so we got hold on, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. So hold on to the teaching, to the sound words that he said, now he says, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. That word entrusted is, is like uh, going to the bank and making a deposit and putting it in a safe place. I don't know where you put your money. Some of you may have more than others of us, and you may take some of your money and put it in the bank, and then some of you may put it under the bed, and some of you may put it in a book. And listen, when you get old, you start forgetting where you put things, so be careful where you put stuff. My dad was telling me a story the other day about, about this guy who had, he had a pretty good bit of money, and uh, he was telling me, listen, I... Jeff, I just don't, I just don't know where it's at. I mean, I, I've buried it, and but I can't seem to find it. And Dad said it wasn't a little bit of money, but it was a lot of money. And then I remember the time of my dad walking into a place, and there was hundred-dollar bills laid all over this man's house. He had buried his money in the backyard in a mason jar. Don't do that. Mason jars have a way, have a tendency of rusting. The tops do when you put them in the ground, and they're there for a long period of time. And they had all gotten wet. And I don't know if you know anything about dollar bills or money, uh, paper money. When it gets wet and you try to dry it out, after a while it just crumbles in your, in your hand. <laughs> but here's Paul saying, look, take that which I've entrusted to you and guard it. Guard it. And the idea here is that Paul had taken Timothy, he had entrusted to him the word of God, the precious truths of the gospel, and the same exact for us, that we have been entrusted, that we have been given these words, and we are to also hold on to it and guard it. Now that word guard carries with the idea of watching over, it's like a castle and you're guarding from, from intruders or a shepherd guarding over his Sheep And Paul instructed Timothy to hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching that you've learned. And now he says, carefully guard these truths that have been entrusted. But how? I mean, how do you do that? I mean, if I'm supposed to entrust what has been given to me, well, how am I supposed to, to guard it? How am I supposed to hold on to it? And look at what he says. Through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. So here is, here's Jesus. Jesus is in the midst of this conversation with the disciples about what was next, about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he said in John 14, 17. He is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because, because what? He said he lives with you, with you, with you. Now, and later, he will be in you. See, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and go to empower people for special things. 
But in the New Testament, if you know, remember Jesus after the resurrection would speak to his disciples and those, and he would say, I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait there, and I want you to remain there until the Holy Spirit comes, and he will be the one who empowers you to be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the world. And the question isn't whether or not we're indwelled with the Holy Spirit as a believer. The question is whether or not we are yielded to the Holy Spirit. So we are to hold on. We are to believe by faith in love, and we are to carefully guard the precious truths that have been entrusted to us by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. So, what are some of those precious truths? I want to share with you some doctrinal truths today that I want you to, these are some things, in no way is this an exhaustive list, but here are some of the truths that Paul would have been talking about or referencing. Number one, the doctrine of God. There is only one living God. Scripture says in Deuteronomy 6, 4, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, who, did, who, do, who, do, um, who exists in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Creator of, the, of everything, God uh, the Son, the Savior of the world who was sent to redeem us from our sins, and the Holy Spirit who would indwell the heart of every believer. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is sovereign in all things, past, present, as well as future. To him we owe our highest devotion. To him we owe our reverence and our obedience. Then the deity of Christ. There are cults, there are different groups that believe that Jesus isn't just, um, that, that he isn't God, but he's just a smaller God. He is a lesser God. But the Bible teaches us that Jesus is God. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Also, it talks in reference to the doctrine of the humanity of Christ. It was in John chapter 1, verse 14, we read the words, That the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth, that Jesus was not only fully man, He was also fully God. But also the doctrine of the virgin birth. Jesus was born of a virgin. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is, how we, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And also that of the doctrine of the sinless life of Christ, that Jesus was sinless. You can talk about it, you can discuss it, you can debate it, but the Scripture teaches us that Jesus was sinless. 1 Peter 2, 22 says, He never sinned nor deceived anyone. He was born of a virgin. He did not inherit sin. He did not live a, uh, a sinful life. He did not acquire sin. But we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the sinless Christ. And because he was sinless, he was able to die on a cross, being coming the Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb who would die for our sins. And then that of Christ being the substitutionary death. Jesus didn't die, people, because of his, his, his wrongs that he, that he paid against Rome. Jesus didn't die because he was disobedient to Rome. But Jesus died, why? Because we were disobedient to God. The Bible teaches us that when Jesus died on the cross, that he took our place. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says that he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. 
When Jesus died, he took our place. Our sins was placed upon, were placed upon him. The Bible also teaches us about the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus not only was crucified on a cross, he was placed in a tomb, but he was resurrected on the third day. I love what Paul had to say in 1 Corinthians as he shared what, what had been passed down to him, that Jesus died, that he was buried, just as the scriptures said, and that he was resurrected on the third day. <laughs> and he was seen by Peter and the other 12. And he said, look, if you don't believe me, why don't you just go on into Jerusalem? Because there's 500 plus other people that also saw, saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. Man, I love that. Then the Bible teaches us about the bodily ascension of Jesus. That doctrine that Jesus promised his disciples that the Holy Spirit was coming to grow Jerusalem and to wait there. And then the Bible says that Jesus blessed them. And in Acts chapter 1, it said, after saying this, he was taken up in a cloud after, uh, while they were watching. They could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood there with them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into the heavens? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. But someday... He will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. Listen, and Jesus is coming back, people. He's coming back right now. He's preparing a place for us that one day, a place that we will one day be. But one day Jesus is coming back, and this next time he's not coming as a suffering servant. This time he's not coming as a lamb, but this time he's coming victorious as a king. Amen. You guys are looking at me like you're crazy. I want you to turn to the book of Revelation for a second. Look at Revelation. I don't have a lot of time today, but I want you to look at the book of Revelation. I want to show you something. Revelation chapter 19, I want to read to you. And I'm going to read to you from um, the New Living, uh, from the New International Version. This is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Jesus coming again. First time he came as a lamb, but this next time, listen, he's coming as a king to execute judgment. In, that, in chapter 19, verse 11, it says, I saw heavens standing open, and there before me was a white horse, a symbol of authority, a symbol of victory. And he said, a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true with justice. He judges and makes war. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Remember the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, which he will strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of fury on the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is coming back. Also, we have the doctrine of man. The Bible teaches us that God, that, that we were created in God's image, but we sinned and our fellowship with God was broken. The Bible says that all of us are sinners. I mean, if you look around this room, I mean, that's pretty evident. All of us are sinners. We all fall short. And the Bible says that the result of our sin is death and separation from God. Then we see the doctrine of salvation. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It was Paul's words to Ephesians, to the church at Ephesus, where he said, It's by God's grace that we're saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift from God. It was Jesus himself that said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Wow. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? 
Do you know him? I mean, if you were to die today, do you know where you would spend eternity? Have you surrendered your life? And then we have the essentials of God's word. God's word. We believe the Bible is the inspired and errant word of God. The Bible isn't just a book, but it's a collection of books written over 1,600 years by 40 different authors. God's word is right. It is true. It gives direction. It gives comfort. It holds us accountable. Paul would write just a little bit later in 2 Timothy that Scripture is inspired by God. It is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Not our opinions. Not our people. Not our, our, our feelings. Listen, I do you an injustice if I don't tell you what God's word says. Amen? I hope that you're not coming to hear my opinion or my feelings. There's a lot of things I can give you an opinion about, but it really doesn't matter, does it? What really matters is what God's word has to say, and we must hold on to God's word. So we see where Paul is telling Timothy to be faithful to the faith, but secondly, he is also saying be faithful and not ashamed. And you might want to be adding there, be faithful friends and not ashamed. And you'll understand why in just a second. Paul is fixing to mention the names of people. You talk about getting called out. You guys get fearful of me because you're afraid that I might call you out sometime. Look, let me tell you something. I mean, Paul right here, I mean, here's an example of calling somebody out in the midst of, in the midst of a letter. I mean, he even writes their name down. Look at what he says here in verse 15 and 16. As you know, everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me. So that's where Paul and, and that's, where, that's where Timothy had met up. That's where, they, that's where they ministered together. And it sounds of life, if you read this, here is Paul. He's, he's discouraged. He's disillusioned. As you know, everyone, you ever said that word, everyone? They call that, what, a, a hyperbole? It's like an exaggeration. It's not something that's literally, but that's, it tells us how he was feeling. Look, everybody has abandoned me. They've deserted me. And then he calls out their name, for goodness sake. Even Phagellus and Hermogenes. I mean, it's interesting because this is the only place, this is the only place we find their names. And here it is, Paul calling them out. And Paul is saying, look, they've not only turned against the Lord, but they've also turned against me. I mean, isn't that the way you want to be remembered one day? Well, yeah, he was a good guy, but you know he turned away from the Lord and he also turned away from all of us. What would happen if at funerals and times like that when we were saying our, if we really told the truth? Wouldn't that be something? You know, as I thought about this, I thought one of the greatest pains in ministry, one of the greatest pains and one of the greatest hurts in ministry is knowing people who at one time claimed to have faith but had walked away. Anybody know anybody like that? I'm not saying somebody that was walking through a difficult time, but what I'm saying is someone who held on to the faith, clung to the faith, and all of a sudden came to a place in life where they walked away from their faith, and for whatever the reason, maybe you know somebody like that. But Paul just didn't mention those that abandoned him, those that were unfaithful, but he also mentions and gives an example of someone who was faithful. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 16. May the Lord show special kindness to Onesiphorus and all of his family because he often visited and encouraged me. I mean, I don't want to be like the first two guys that 
that Paul talked about, but I do want to be like this guy. I want to be a blessing. I want to be an encouragement. And I, I want to say to, to our heritage family, I mean, that, isn't that who we should be? I mean, it, shouldn't we be like a, a, a breath of fresh air? Shouldn't we be like a cool, of, 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 a cool drink of water in the, in the middle of, of a dry place? And Paul went on to say that, um, that the Lord would show him special kindness. May the Lord show special kindness to him and his family because he often visited and encouraged me. Why? Because he was not ashamed of me even though I was in chains. It's really interesting if you go back to verse 8 in chapter 1. Here's Paul telling Timothy, do not be ashamed. And then in verse 12, Paul says, I want you to know that I'm not ashamed. And here it is now in this verse in 16, Onesiphorus was not ashamed of me, even though I am in chains. You know, it's amazing when you're walking through times of suffering, times that you need people the most. It's amazing how many times that that is some of the darkest places to be. I remember the story in the Old Testament of Job. I mean, here it was Job going through suffering, not for anything that he had done, and yet it was those that were closest to him, his friends and his family, that turned their back on him and basically said, why don't you just curse God and die? That's not what Onesiphorus did, but he was faithful, and his friendship didn't waver. And look at what he said in verse 17. When he came to Rome, he searched everywhere until he found me. Now, we're not talking about, okay, it was a couple of hours, but it was probably a couple of days, and if not, even a couple of weeks that it took him to find Paul because Paul was down inside of a dungeon. But regardless, the idea that we have here is Onesiphorus didn't give up. How should we respond to those that are walking through suffering and difficulty? We should not give up. I have no idea, people, what it's like to be in a prison cell, and I don't want to ever know that. Okay, but I do know what it's like to be in a dark place. I do know what it's like to be in need of encouragement and receive encouragement. I know what it's like to, to get a phone call. I know what it's like to get a text. I know what it's like to get a, a word of encouragement from somebody when I'm in a dark place. And this, this is what I'll tell you, and you know this is true. The word of encouragement can be the difference between continuing on and being faithful or wanting to give up and quit. And Paul would go on to write a prayer blessing to Onesiphorus, and he would say, may the Lord show him, being Onesiphorus, special kindness on the day that Christ returns. And you know very well how helpful he was. That word helpful, that was a word that he used to describe Onesiphorus. And it, it's where we get the word um, dia, um, diakoneo, which means a helper, or one who waits on tables, a servant. And that was his view, that Onesiphorus was there to walk alongside. And ministry wasn't left for us to be done but it's, uh, by ourselves, but for us to walk alongside one another in that journey. And as believers, two things I want to leave you with today. Number one, we need to be devoted to the Word of God. We need to hold on to it. We need to cling to it. And number two, we need to be devoted to the people of God. Um. Now, there's some speculation. There's some speculation that when Paul was writing these words, that he already knew that when Onesiphorus had come to visit him after leaving him, that he had been arrested and already been put to death. Isn't that interesting? Yet he writes these words. But regardless, Paul says, and he's referencing to the day that Christ returned, that he will reward 
his servants. You know, there's a lot of people that have been really faithful. There are a lot of people that have been faithful in holding on, yet you'll never see their names in lights. You'll never see their names written down. They will never have received a lot of accolades and press here on this earth. But one day when Jesus comes, comes back, they will receive a reward. Will you be faithful? Will you be unashamed?
Maybe some here today that don't know Christ as personal Savior. My question is, what is it that keeps you from making the most important decision at all? I'll tell you what it is. It's pride. Today you have the ability to humble yourself before the Lord and to cry out to Him. And the Bible says that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us all of from all unrighteousness. To admit and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, to believe that Jesus died on a cross for our sins, that he was resurrected from the dead, and be willing to commit our lives. And today, if that's you, man, I'd love to be able to talk to you. We'd love to engage you in a conversation about how to know Jesus and walk with him in obedience. But there's a lot of you here today that you know the Lord, and my challenge for you today is that you would be an Esophorus, that you would be a faithful follower of Christ holding on, clinging to, just like Paul would tell Timothy, that the world would know that we are Christ followers because of our love. And that's how I want to send you out today. I want to send you guys out to be that Anessa Force, to be that cool drink of water, that cool breeze that just infiltrates our community so that others can come to know Jesus. Father, I pray for us today. And I ask that as we go, we would recognize the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Help us to live as your ambassadors in this world, never forgetting not only who we are, but whose we are, that you are our Father. I pray you would encourage us this week. Father, I pray that you would allow us the opportunity to engage others in the gospel. And Father, just as Paul encouraged Timothy, we would cling to and hold on to that which has been passed down to us, that we would carefully guard the word and we would be faithful followers of Jesus. Bless us now as we go. May we leave a legacy of faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.